0: Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Cosmic fights and grave digging.
1: Clark gets a space Uber. Jesus Christ, babysitter. Joan gets off the merry-go-round. Who's the protector now? And we're down to the final two genies. This is How I Got My Wife to Read Comics for Sunday, April 16th, 2023. I'm Mark.
2: And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, you can subscribe with your favorite podcast catcher and maybe leave us a review somewhere.
1: You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Danger Street Book 5 from DC Black Label by King, Fournese, and Stewart. Fate's Helmet welcomes us back to the confrontation among Sarman, the blue alien version, Warlord, and Orion. Warlord, ironically, tries diplomacy, noting he's heard great things about Orion from the League, but the son of Darkseid is not hearing it. A huge fight begins between the aliens as Warlord helps himself to the boy's casket. Lady Cop and the Dingbats all see and hear the explosions off in the dunes, with the latter still planning on killing Starman themselves. Lady Cop goes off to investigate. Meanwhile, the boy billionaire who's running a movie studio is having a couch session with a starlet when there's a knock on the door. It's Manhunter there to kill him. The producer begs for his life and then offers him fame instead. Manhunter refuses and doesn't kill him? He really wants to, but something magical stops him. In a poor move, the producer mocks Manhunter as he walks away. Meanwhile, another boy billionaire is christening a new Navy ship when his bodyguard, codename assassin, faints behind him.
2: We then check in with Jack Ryder, a.k.a. Creeper, who gets a message, Rooftop, no, in a box of cigars. If the bat symbol didn't tip you off... Jack and Bruce have a confrontation on the roof. Bats wants Jack to drop the whole outsider thing as it's just fake news. Jack replies, Now, all of America has to check if the Supreme Court of Batman approves of what they say before they say it. Batman counters with, You're a man who reads a prompter, then dresses up in a red boa and laughs at other people's pain. You're not America. Jack sees Batman as a symbol of the elites. The real America supports writer. We go back to the battle, and warlord's pulling the coffin out of the grave while thinking of his life in Skataris. He left his princess and wife there for one last adventure on Earth. Not the best decision. Sometimes, I guess I just want to be a superhero. Meanwhile, the dingbats are driving their dune buggy to the battle. Nonfat has a gun, and when he's asked where he got the money for one, he replies, I told you I had money. Swear, man, I had diamonds.
1: Back to the new ship with a boy billionaire and assassin having a chat. The latter provides exposition about the Manhunters, and he's having to stop them from killing the green team with his telekinesis, which is difficult at a distance. This is what stopped Manhunter and made assassin faint earlier. The boy suggests he concentrate on protecting the person in front of him and offers him a big bonus to do so. I am well compensated. However, there is room for growth. The boy replies... Come on, what do you say? It's just a few dead kids. It's not like the sky's falling. Back to the battle, as Warlord drives away with the coffin, leaving a text for Starman to meet when the fight's over. The dingbats shoot by him, causing Warlord to swerve, and when he turns to yell at them, T-bones Lady Cop's car. The coffin flies out of Warlord's convertible, flips around in midair, and crashes to the ground. Meanwhile, Starman has defeated Orion, only to collapse next to him. He tells the kids to tell Warlord, You tell him I won. Nonfat gets out his gun. Back to the studio head, who wakes up after a nap to find Manhunter standing over him. Are we really uh, doing this again? Manhunter chokes him out. As always, we end with a nine-panel page showing each of the players with helmet wrapping it up to be continued
2: Superman lost 2 of 10 by Priest Pegulian Paz and Cox We begin with a call between Lois and Bruce he's helping her with a political story but he's really calling to see how Clark is doing It's been 9 days Clark is sleeping on the floor and not breathing he got into that habit during his missing period Lois wakes him up and tells him to remember to breathe We cut back to his first day out there, in space. An alien ship finds him unconscious, and they debate if he's worth dragging in. That is a nice cape. They set up what they think is the right environment for him and tell him to breathe. Unfortunately, it's carbon dioxide, and he vomits before they finally fix it. He then explains how he got wherever he is. Alien ship crashed on Earth, quantum singularity to drive, he controls it with his body, the singularity collapses, and he was sent somewhere. The aliens are dubious, but the important thing is he survived. Oh, and they went back to Earth to drop him off. They ask for money for the fare, then suggest the cape before they push him out. Unfortunately, they're as bad at navigation as air mixtures. It's an alien planet with strange gravitational forces making Clark adapt.
1: He finds himself talking with new aliens on a highly polluted planet. Everyone has to wear masks. He flies around to orient himself, finally finding a wall with writing on it. On the other side is farmland to the horizon, along with Victor, named as the leader of their republic. Clark goes back through his spiel. We learn that he found an abandoned spaceship and fashioned a breathing tank, then used planetary gravity to reach near-light speeds. Clark asks what he can do to help those outside of this idyllic zone. You can't. Neither can I. It is not ours to violate the will of the people, even when they're idiots. Victor gives Clark some supplies, a personal survival kit, and a new mostly white suit before sending him off. Go, Clark, find your home. Our problems are too big for you.
2: Second coming, Trinity, number 1 from Dark Horse by Russell Pace Kirk and Troy. We're back with our Superman analog, Sunstar, and the Son of God along with Sunstar's new son. It's a year after the events in the last mini. Sunstar is finishing up work on an international space elevator, the start of human deep space exploration. Then it's off to testify in the trial of Cranius, a supervillain who attacked the city and caused scores of death. When Sunstar notes that he and Cranius go way back, we segue to a high school reunion a few years prior. Cranius and Sunstar, along with Miris, Prince of the Sea, all were in the same high school class, with the rest being regular citizens. Cranius was planning to make a good impression at the event. He writes Cranius on his name tag before replacing it with Bill. The heroes consider his attending to be sad, and when people ignore Cranius, he starts thinking the same thing. Sunstar decides to ignore him, then calls home to see how Jesus is doing with his infant son. The boy is starting fires with heat vision, but Jesus is handling it. They discuss the endless cycle of revenge, realizing that as long as pain endures, it will go on forever. Now Sunstar has learned some feeling of guilt about the whole thing. Jesus replies, well, like it says in the Bible, if you really want to F with someone's head, forgive them.
1: Instead, Sunstar sneaks over and writes Thunderbone on Cranius' name tag, which came out of an event in gym and an erection. While Sunstar is mobbed for autographs, a woman sits down next to Cranius, and they have a nice conversation, realizing that they never really knew their classmates. It's not too late, you know. Cut back to the trial, with Sunstar noting that Cranius had squandered genius. And I'm not about to make any excuses for what he's done, but if he chose the wrong path, then it's the one we paved for him. Back to the reunion. A classmate whispers in the ear of the woman sitting with Cranius, who then storms off, I can't believe I almost went out with Thunderbone. Cranius looks at Sunstar, then storms off himself. The trial is coming to a close when Cranius's attorney asks for a sidebar. Cranius is willing to go off on the first deep space mission, most likely a suicide mission, if sentencing is waived. We cut to his ship doing a space warp, but something, Cranius, is left behind.
2: Love Everlasting, number 6 from Image by King Shrediteer. Hollingsworth, and Cowles. We're back with the bizarre tale of a woman whose life goes from one romance comic to another. In Too Hip for Love, Joan is a swinging 60 girl who gets stuck with Don, the son of her dad's lodge member, and a square. But there's something different this time. Joan is now aware that she's in an infinite loop of stories. She asks Don, So, are you the one? Because I don't think it's the other guy. He's way too easy." The other guy is Brian, a beatnik, who they meet at the discotheque. Joan gets drunk, and Don drives her home. You're safe. You're pretty, Don, and I'm bored of this one. This house. This driveway. This Brian. This Don. This, I'm sick of it all, Don. It makes me want to vomit. Don decides to go for it and asks her to marry him, and she accepts.
1: Now, at this point, Joan assumes she will be shot, things will reset, and another loop will begin. But it doesn't. Her mom starts planning the wedding, a dress, china patterns, the cake. She runs into Brian and lets him down. You're the start. He's the end. Trust me. I've been through this. I can't love you, Brian. And if I don't love you, I don't go. Don provides a more formal proposal so they have a better story for the kids. Then it's the wedding. Still no reset. Joan drives away alone after the ceremony and runs into the mysterious cowboy. Oh, so this is the reset. No? He's there to wish her well in her new marriage. She explains away her runaway. She went to show her wedding dress to her grandma at her grave. Then, it's a honeymoon in Niagara Falls. Hmm.
2: Fables number 158 from D.C. Black Label by Willingham, Buckingham, Lealoha, and Lafridge. We start with the immediate aftermath of Snow announcing she's pregnant. Bigby starts planning a bigger house. Meanwhile, Peter and Tink materialize in the Black Forest. Tink reports that this world is mostly magic-free except for this forest. We pull out to see a plethora of Dan animals around them. They were slaughtered for talking. Tink is sent off for some tasks, while Peter gets ready to do some of his own. In Washington, Cindy is reporting to the Pentagon. They're not happy she allowed Green Jack to take her arrow with her as it was magic, and they are worried it will come back to haunt them. She notes that, while the arrow will automatically hit its target, so can bullets, and they have a lot of them. Back in the forest, the cubs are playing their games. Hearn stays with Snow as he's excluded from the wolf chase. An injured rabbit hobbles up and warns Bigby about the animal attack before collapsing. Peter runs into Connor and tries to kill him, followed by a chase.
1: Green Jack and Mrs. Bear materialize in the forest as well. This isn't good as Green Jack's spell was to take them to where the villain is and they had hoped it would be on another world that could be ruined. Tink notes that new magic has entered the forest. The other cubs see Connor flying and give chase, transforming back to humans. The girls are now naked and Ambrose realizes they can no longer be undressed around each other ever again. There's some mid-flight banter between Peter and Connor before Connor turns into a winged monster and knocks Peter out of the sky, injuring him. He's not dead and warns them to kill him now or they will regret it. They don't, and he dematerializes. Bigby meets Greenjack. Each declares that they are the protector of the forest. Unfortunately, Kern, Hearn's dad, shows up and says the same thing.
2: 8 Billion Genies, number 8 of 8 from Image by Soul and Brown. We have reached the end of the tale. Although we begin with the last 8 centuries. Human population 360 million, genie population 2. The two genies reflect on how things went and wonder if this cycle will ever end. We won't be free until they free themselves. One of the genies will assume human form on Earth and live until the next cycle while the other goes back to their homeworld. We flash to France near Dijon in 1200 A.D. A baby crash lands and decides to move straight to adulthood. He spends his first century doing fun stuff, sex, drugs, hedonism. China in 1300 A.D., realizing he has burned off too much time, and the next cycle is coming, he decides to use his knowledge of medicine from his time as a genie to start the Black Plague and slow down the cycle.
1: Madrid, 1350 A.D. He realizes the idea of consequences as he sees wagons of dead being dragged away. Wallachia, 1462 A.D. He decides to try power, becoming a warlord. It catches up to him. He's drawn and quartered. Fortunately, his body can regenerate. He changes over to self-improvement, becoming an expert in everything, at one point apparently becoming Shakespeare. Venice, 1718 A.D. He decides to start a family. Actually, many families with thousands of descendants over time. Michigan Territory, 1822 A.D. He's decided to take a step back and just keep vigil, starting a saloon. Over the next few centuries, this becomes the Lampwick. It takes a century for the population to go from 1 billion to 2, 33 years to 3 billion, 14 years to 4 billion, 13 years to 5 billion. And after that, I stop changing up the bar. Too much work. 2011 A.D., 7 billion people. He starts stocking up supplies and settles in.
2: 702 years after G-Day, an elderly Daisy walks into the bar still the same. She wandered the world, some still strange, some destroyed, but simpler. She still got her wish. The genie explained that Daisy lived this long due to the combined wishes of Alex and Brian. Daisy asks if the bartender ever found the perfect wish, and he replies, Humans are like a bucket with a hole in it. You try to fill it up with happiness, but you can't. Every wish we grant is the same wish. I wish I had enough. Daisy decides to stay at the bar.
1: 800 years after G-Day, Betty, in her father's armor, arrives at the bar. She demands the last wish. She points an energy weapon at Daisy and to force her to use her wish first. Daisy asks her to chat, and Betty gets a drink. Betty's parents use their wishes to protect her, sacrificing themselves. So Betty's wish must be worthwhile with no chance of it being made moot. Daisy explains that if neither of them use their wishes or wish for nonsense, the world goes along until the next cycle. Betty asks the genies why Daisy never used her wish. Because she had enough. Betty realizes that she shouldn't be the final wisher. I wish I didn't have a wish. Her genie hugs her. Well done, Xu. You are better than you think. The final genie assumes its true form, and Daisy wishes, I wish that everyone would love the way they want to be loved. The next eight seconds. Human population, eight billion. Genie population, zero.
2: Now, I understand that that means that must have been the great wish, because now it's eight billion and there's no new genies. But I'm not sure I understand why that happened in eight seconds.
1: Just like at the beginning, we started with eight seconds to eight minutes to eight hours, on and on and on. And so this is the cycle beginning again, except now this time, no genies.
2: Oh, so this is not like the next eight seconds from when she wished. Um... Because how could it be back to 8
1: billion people in the population? Or, or we're just saying, okay, now we've made it to 8 billion. You know, it's now in the future and it's 8 billion, but now there's no genies. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's a really great book, but it's also, you really need to to, to focus as to where you're at in the storyline.
2: Yeah. Well, and and it it's, it's a thinker, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's like we're not really going to explain what happens. And, right.
0: Call us at 614 That's 614 sfp Back to you, Mark.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.
0: Bye bye.